Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Today's guest definitely takes off the rose-colored glasses about what it takes to start and scale a software as a service company. And I'll give you a hint, it's a lot. Melissa Kwan shares her story about starting Spacio, a software that digitized the check-in process for open houses for real estate agents. Now, from eating only one meal a day to cut down on costs to her first $10 payment, to then scaling to over 100,000 agents and exiting for a seven-figure sum two years later, Melissa's journey had its fair share of highs and lows. If you're currently in the tech space or you're thinking about building a SaaS business, start here first. This is Melissa Kwan. Melissa Kwan, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thanks for having me, Simon. My absolute pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to hearing about your story. And um, we, I know we're going to touch on the company Spacio, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but you know, hearing your journey about how you started and ultimately exited that business, um, Melissa, maybe just for our audience, maybe you could kick off and give us a little bit of your background and kind of what led to you starting that company. Yeah. So Spacio was my second company. Uh, I'm on my third right now. Um, but 12 years ago, my, my last job that I worked for someone was at SAP. Um, and I remember like absolutely hating what I was doing. Um, I was working for small companies before that, and that was like my big company experience. And I was just a horrible, horrible employee. Um, And then I came out of that wanting to have my own business, you know, whatever that whatever that meant at the time, like my parents are not entrepreneurs. So I thought I should start a business uh, because it's easy. (laughs) Like You don't have, you know, no one was there to like tell me it was hard. Um, So that was kind of the beginning of of my entrepreneur journey. Um, I started you know, a real estate tech company wanting for it to be a product company. Eventually that first company turned into an agency model where, you know, if anyone has had an agency before, you'll know it's a very, very difficult business. Um, and, you know, after a few years running that, I decided that we should build a product um, that everyone should pay for versus doing individual apps that, you know, we were selling to like individual companies. So that was actually the beginning of Spacio. Um, it kind of morphed from this, the first company into, into the second. So even though Spacio was, um, I would say like, I think it was like a five-year-old company, it felt like a decade long because of, you know, how the first company kind of morphed into the second. And just for context, um, Spacio is, um, I mean, was and is, uh, it's still live right now. Um, it's the number one open house check-in app uh, in real estate. 
Yeah, awesome. And I want to come back and explore what that means. But but first of all, I mean, I I have to chuckle when you talked about the big corporate experience and then starting a business because it's easy. Because I I had similar things. It's uh, you know, I think everybody in our in our team at Exit Advisory, we all call ourselves corporate escapees because we all. I don't know. Sometimes you got to go and do something for a while to realize what you don't want for the rest of your life, and yeah. uh, and starting businesses sounds easy until you do it. And so, uh, look, I think just think that's a it's a message and a story. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to. So, uh, so thanks for sharing that. Um, so, so back to Spacio for a second. So, when you say um, you know it's about check ins, and can you just explain it a little bit more to to people who might not kind of get this space? Yeah, so um, I guess in Australia they would call it open homes, but you know in North America it's open houses where um, instead of making an appointment with a real estate agent to view a, a property, um, it would almost be like a carnival, right? <laughs> On like Saturday, Sunday, um, especially in New York where where um, I was living at the time that I was doing this, and it's like a low commitment way of going into a property that you're interested in and just kind of poking around. And, you know, but for the real estate agent, it's a huge lead gen opportunity. So anybody that comes in could be a buyer or seller. So that's why they require you to sign in on a piece of paper, like your name, email, phone number, whatever that might be. Um, and we were the iPad, like digital version of that check-in. It's really no different than like some of the fancier office buildings that you walk into and they make you sign in. And, but if it's a pen, you kind of draw a line and you run away. <laughs> but if it's an iPad, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it forces you to type in the accurate information. Um, so on the front end, that's what it was. Um, but actually on the back end, because we sold to companies and companies would give it to their real estate um, agents as a perk to joining that company. Um, there was a lot of like automatic follow-up data, like foot traffic that we would feed to the company. There were a lot of like mortgage partnerships and things like that. So a lot of stuff happened on the back end, but on the front end, it was just a super simple like buyer-seller check-in when you walk into a property. Yeah, nice, nice. So so solving a quite a simple but obvious problem, and then of yeah, I love this this whole capturing of the data and what you can do with it. Um. Talk to me a little bit about the journey. I mean, when you started, did you start on your own? Did you have any business partners? What, what did that kind of all look like? Yeah, so I had a business partner, a co-founder who was my CTO. Um, I was working with him on the first business as well. I hired him actually just out of university. Um, so none of us really had any experience and we kind of just, you know, stumbled um, into this thing Th and really honestly thinking it was easy. <laughs> and that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and the way that I started the second company was I had a friend that once told me, um, you need to get a loan or raise money when you can, because when you actually need it, then no one's going to give it to you. So you need to do it when you don't need it. So what I did to start that second company was I took all the revenue that we had from our agency. I took a loan against that like an equal loan against that. I pulled everything out and then I put it into like incorporated a second company, put that in. And that was like my startup capital. Um, and that was kind of the the beginning of that. Yeah, that's really curious. I, I think that's a smart lineup. It's it's funny when you need money. Yeah, I, I kind of get that analogy. Um, somebody once said to me about startups, you know, as you're running around looking for capital, it's, if you go and you ask people for money, you often get advice. Um, yeah. If you go and ask <laughs> for them that. for advice, they often want to give you money. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's 
it's kind of funny the psychology of all this sort of stuff. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so cool. Okay, so you launched into this thing. I, I get the whole ignorance is bliss kind of thing, right? Because I, I think I've done a few things in my life where I've gone, man, if I knew how hard that would be, I might not have started, but I'm glad I actually did it and got through it. So, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes uh, being having the blinkers on is probably a good thing for productivity and, and innovation. But um, what, talk to me about that journey as you started, like, you know, you're building a piece of tech. I, I don't know how to build tech. I'm not a tech guy. You know, for those thinking about this sort of stuff, I mean, what does that typical kind of journey look like before you start getting customers and revenue and all that sort of good stuff? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's a really big and heavy one um, because I think when I started that business, I was probably in the worst part of my career. Like I was in the worst financial position because we, we were never venture funded. Like we are not a venture back company or in my third company still not. So that puts you in a very different place. You don't have unlimited funds to do like anything. In fact, you don't have any money to do anything. And the most expensive part to starting a tech company is really the tech salaries. And we were in Canada. So our burn is already much lower. And also my co-founder is my CTO. So while he needed a salary, it wasn't like market salaries. I didn't pay myself for, for many years. Um, so it was. I would say like from the day we incorporated Spacio and don't forget, like I had another company before that. So it wasn't, and it wasn't like I was like, you know, drowning in, in deals. Like it was still very difficult um, from the moment of incorporation to finding a product that someone would pay for. Like the first time someone put in their credit card was three years. And um, I think that's probably a little bit longer um, than like, I guess the average, there really isn't an average, but um, I just didn't have any experience because I was building an, I had an agency before, like somebody would come to me and say, I want X and I would give it to them and they would pay me. Right. Whereas if you're starting a SaaS product, which is what Spacio is, like it's a product that people subscribe to, then it, it really takes an immense amount of like understanding of the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and also like, don't forget, like customer expectations are at an all time high and I'm talking like five years ago now, or like seven years ago now. So it is only going higher. Like, just think about like the last time you downloaded an app or you looked at a piece of software, how many seconds did it give you? Like, did you give it before you gave up on it because it just wasn't good enough? or didn't have that feature, or that feature didn't do everything that you wanted, because you already have this fabricated reality of what this thing should do for you. And that journey was actually really difficult. So that, like, I had all this money that I thought would last me two years. It didn't, because it never does. I think it lasted like nine months or something. So for, for a good, like, year and a half of those three years, I was like going to startup events for food. I would like have one meal a day and time it so that I don't get hungry at night. Like it was just, and I would like try to find side deals so I could maybe make next month's payroll and, you know, find, find tax breaks or government grants that I could patch another hole. Like that went on for a really, really long time. And then the first time someone put in their credit card and paid $10, I, I couldn't even believe it. I thought like we were just testing the software because there we had an idea of what we wanted to build. Like we had an idea of like, we want to build, you know, an open house software, but what is that? Right. Like what, what process in that open house journey 
are we are we digitizing? And so, you know, what the mistake that that I made was I made the product too big. Like I think, you know, people think um I have to innovate, right? If I have to really innovate to make someone buy something and make them like I have to give them a shiny object, but there is nothing more untrue than that. Because people's like people's imagination is um like their imagination is is not um how do you say that? Like it's not very big. Is that is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, they, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they can't make a mental leap like between like this and that. So originally we had this like super bloated like open house solution that had software and hardware and all these move all this move like all these moving parts. And it was actually one day I was like trying to pitch to a VC because we had no money. I didn't even want VC money. I just like needed money from anywhere. And I was talking to this VC from my co-working space and he was like, yeah, this looks like it could be something, but there's too many moving parts. You should do the one part that everyone does, which is like signing in. Like all this other stuff, like no one has to do, but everyone has to sign in. And at that point, like I just didn't even really have another choice. We had like three months of runway. So what we did was we shed all the features except for the sign-in sheet. And that was the thing that someone paid $10 for like three years later. So that was really the journey. And then from that $10 to acquisition was like less than two years. Wow. Wow. Can I, can I come back to the, to this beginning part? Because, you know, you, well, you, you've poured your money and you've borrowed money. This, the, the weight of those kind of scenarios can be pretty heavy. You're, you mentioned before that you you sort of have this idea that you sort of so the, the the unknown around some of that can probably add to anxiety. I imagine I'm just wondering, you know, through these three years, did you, did you ever have any of those moments where you go, "Holy moly, am I doing the right thing here?" or have those those doubts? Yeah, I mean, like a few times a day. I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, because everything yeah. is against you, like everything. Like you have no money. Your family thinks you're useless because you have no money ever because success, like they see success, like the world sees success tied as like a monetary value, but you never have it. So you must suck in what you do. And of course, like I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, so they don't really understand. They didn't really understand. So then you don't have encouragement from that. And none of your friends are doing this. Like they just went and got jobs and like, they're really happy and living in their first house and they're even upgrading. Whereas like you can't even make rent and you're going to start events for food. Right. So yeah, like every day you're like, why am I doing this? Like I should just go and do something else or am I doing the right thing? Or, you know, if I'm doing the right thing, then why won't someone pay for this? You know, it, and you know, if there's a market, then why is it so hard? Um, you know, and you have people telling you all the time, like, this shouldn't be so hard. And you start to believe them because you're just suffering yeah. all the time. So, yeah, like, I think a lot of people can uh, relate to that as well. I, I can relate to it. You know, I, I helped a mate with a startup and it's, you know, the amount of times that uh, people would, I don't know, people don't actually understand, A, even what you're doing, B, what your journey's like, C, what kind of challenges you need to overcome to get to that next stage. And I actually found 
at times people sort of ask you how you're going and it was almost like you could hear the pity in their voice <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and and that, and that always people try to offer advice and it'd be like you actually don't even know anything about this industry <laughs> or what i'm doing and yet you somehow rethink that you're in a position to give me advice like it's like every oh my vc goodness. though <laughs> like literally yeah, every yeah. vc in the world never run a business and they're like you should do this it's like no <laughs> like you have yeah. no idea actually Oh man, I hear it. And it's funny, you know, actually we talk a bit about that at, at, in our main business exit advisory is that, that how do you go and give business owners advice if you've never been a business owner? Like I, I, yeah. I honestly think if you haven't had a few sleepless nights wondering if you're going to lose it all, you probably haven't been in business. Um, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I know that there's, there's been, and I've had a couple of people on this show that have been cash flow positive from day one and I'm clap my hands and celebrate and, you know, yeah. well done because you're the <laughs> rare one, right? You're the one yeah. percenter because everybody yeah. else has had sleepless nights, you know? Yeah, so. I want to grow, grow up and be like that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, I totally. I mean, I think that we have to grow up at some point and I'm not sure I really want to do that either, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but if um, I did, <laughs> yeah, if I were to, yeah. then I want to be the person <laughs> who's capital positive on day one. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so, so, okay. So, three years to kind of start doing revenue, two years to acquisition. So, a five-year journey, which, hey, you know, is still pretty darn quick when you kind of look back in hindsight, and and maybe when we gloss over some of the pain and suffering. Um, what did you have other employees? What did the team look like, and how did that grow over this period? Yeah. So we always had a super small team. Um, by design because i realize i really really hate managing people like that is really my least favorite thing to do like i love creating i love selling i love like the glory of putting something out there but i absolutely hate people management um but also we just didn't have a lot of money so and even when we did i was so afraid of losing that like just when you're in the headspace of always struggling and always suffering and always living in lack. Like I still have that. Like I still go to a, a restaurant and look at the price first before looking at the item. Like I still make decisions at a restaurant based on price when I don't actually have to. Um, it's really, it's just so programmed. And I was so afraid to spend the money when, when we even, when we had it. Yeah. So we, we outsource a little bit. Um, whatever we could, um, when we didn't require full time, like I actually don't really, I, I mean, and right now, like our full team is outsourced. Um, I don't believe in tying people in because they're employees. Like we've always had a remote, remote team. Like I've, like I've been a digital nomad actually for four years and I believe in like, like expertise and specializing. So we always found people to outsource to for really specific tasks. Um, we had a team of, you know, at, at any given point, maybe like four to six developers, depending on like where we were at and like whether they were, would, would stay or go. Um, but we just ran a super tight ship, uh, mainly because we had to, but also because I wanted to. So that was actually why we were able to get to profitability within like, like I think it was like under 12 months. Yeah, so right. like wow. from, from that $10 credit card, like we were able to like finally get to profitability um, and then, you know, that, and we, we just kind of grew from there, but we didn't, because like in a, in a product, like at least the product that we were building was, was not a huge product. So it wasn't like, okay, the more we grew, we had to hire more people. 
like, in fact, like the more we grew, um, the more stable the product got and actually the less we had to, the less we had to build. Um, so it, it kind of scaled nicely that way. It, it, was there any concerns for you, like when you're outsourcing and, and once again, just going to put my hand up here and, you know, this is me and my ignorance, but, um, you know, you're developing software. I get that you've got a CTO who I must understand tech and coding and all this sort of stuff. But if you're outsourcing that, is there ever any a concern that those people aren't in the tent or they're not, I don't know if they were full-time working on your project or whether they had other clients, but like, is there ever any concern about protecting your IP and, and all that stuff on this journey? Not so much, right? Because everybody that comes in signs um, a contractor agreement. And then you've got your confidentiality, you've got your IPs and, and all that stuff there. And also like in my previous company, I didn't even outsource as much as I do now. Like right now we have a team of 15 and like everybody is outsourced and we, we hire developers through a company. So it's not like an individual person. I have heard some horror stories about like, you know, not even just outsourcing, maybe having a co-founder who decided they didn't want to do this anymore. And it was a tech co-founder and they took all the code or like they, you know, gave it to someone else. Like I've, I've heard those stories Oh wow! Yeah. and it is difficult, but, um, that's why your number one tech person has to be your co-founder or yourself. And yes. that yeah, has well, to that be helps. the person <laughs> that knows how to protect that and, you know, put the right protections around that, but also, um, knows how to hire the right people who hopefully will respect this person enough to not do that. Um, and also like, if you go through a company, then, you know, companies have rep these kind of reputations to, to upkeep. So it's very, very unlikely that, that, that will happen. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you're using an actual, a specific, um, outsource company that obviously focuses on tech and stuff like that. Um, uh, wh where are they based? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So we work with two companies. One is in Vietnam. Um, and the other is in Belarus, um, you know, for, for different purposes. And then my, my CTO, is my co-founder, um, who's also my life partner, kind of unusual, but, um, right now, like it, my previous two businesses, I was with a different co-founder, but for this one, um, but for this one, I consciously, like if, if it's one of those things, like I, I get asked this a lot, like what, you know, what did you learn from your previous company that you would bring to your new one? Right. Like not only did I learn that I hate people management, I also learned that like, I hate having employees. I hate hiring. I hate firing. So I came into this thinking I'm going to outsource every single person, like in, including, you know, my CTO is, is a contractor, but also having that mindset allows you to uh, like hire talent anywhere in the world. Like we are not limited by that, especially in this day and age where like you just have to be so competitive. We can't even hire locally if we wanted to. Like we do hire some people locally, but they've taken like 50% pay cuts to work for us because they believe in the vision and, and those people don't really come along very often. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. Okay. So that's interesting. So, okay. So you've get three years, you, you get to this product to a point where you're starting to make, you know, you attract customers and revenue and about 12 months to get to profitability. C can I ask like, how big did it grow? Can you share with us, you know, what sort of revenue you're doing by the time you sold? I don't know if that's confidential or not, but I, yeah, tr trying to get a sense yeah. of how big it was when you exited. Um, yeah, so I, I can't share the exact number, um, but it was like, like it was definitely seven figures. Um, yeah, cool. but it was like the low, it was like the low seven figures. 
Sure, sure. And and where on this journey? Oh, well, actually, oh, let me take it back one step. Like when you started the company, did you think that you were starting this business to sell it, or was there not a you know, or was the, the the end game or exit kind of a bit more gray at that point? Um, it was really gray, I guess, like because it all goes back to like having no experience, right? Like. I just wanted to start something that was mine and I wanted to make a living out of it. Like I was also living in Vancouver at the time. So I was not surrounded by this community of like tech people that would talk about exits or talk about raising capital. Like all that was really new. It wasn't like, it was like a couple of years into that, that I moved to New York and then started like, and then all this like all these communities started springing up, right? All these accelerators and YC, like all of that was like pretty new. Um, and then I realized, oh, people actually start these things to like sell them. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so it, yeah, it definitely wasn't until like I moved to New York and, and got more um, entrenched into those communities and those conversations that I realized like, oh, actually like people only build companies to, to sell. So um, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was just like, I wanted to, like pay myself a salary. Yeah, yeah. So what point on this sort of five-year journey did did you and your partner start having the conversation about selling the business or thinking about selling? Well, I never really talked to him about it. Um, he was just not customer-facing. He was not the business guy. Like he was the product guy. Like he was that side of the business. He And, and that's important. Right. When you when you find a co-founder that you have very different lanes and you don't cross into each other's lanes. And we had a lot of trust in that. Like I never like, of course, I I have like product direction um, decisions and things like that. But I do not ask him how to like to do his job a certain way. Um, And I don't inquire and neither does he. Right. And we just kind of did our separate things. Um, But I started to think about this um when i just wasn't having fun anymore and and that's it right like and a lot of people are like oh yeah like i want to sell it because you know it's the right time to sell or if it's you know or i think it's a better fit into another company no like i just hated what i was doing (laughs) it was really (laughs) as simple as that um and i didn't shop the company like it it would have been a very different journey i think if i did um but I was talking to a friend who was like a friend and mentor in, in the real estate tech community who I would catch up with like once a quarter. Um, and I was just actually complaining to him about how much I hated doing this. And I, I was just saying like, I'm, I wonder if my co-founder will let me sell my piece so I can move on. And he was like, oh, like if you're, if you're thinking about that, then, you know, we're thinking about making our first acquisition, but you know, you're going to have to stay. So that was how it all started. Um, I never even really thought about shopping it like with a banker, which a lot of people do. Um, but as companies started to hear about like that, you know, that this, I was having conversations with, with some anonymous company, um, then they, then they also wanted to kind of to be a part of that conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. And and so how many would you say serious prospects did you have through that process? Um, just one other one. 
like we actually traveled to the office and like met the team and like did a presentation and submitted our financials and, and stuff like that. Like just, I mean, I think when you're, when you want to sell a company and you like broadcast that everybody in your space will be like, oh yeah, I'm interested <laughs> because what does that mean? Right. That means I get to see your financials and I get to see all of your customers. And so you have to be very careful about that. Um, and ideally a banker will help you, you know, filter some of that. But I don't know, like, do they really? Because they like they're motivated for you to sell the company as well. So, yeah, so I, I didn't broadcast it also because it was the journey to get to where we were was so hard that I cannot imagine selling my company and working for someone I don't like. Yeah, it was more important for me to keep my lifestyle because I was at that point like already digital, like nomading, like living anywhere in the world. Like people don't like that, right? A lot of like, especially bigger companies, like they don't really like the idea of their, like a team member, especially the CEO that they're acquiring, like on vacation all the time, (laughs) right? Like that's their thought. Like, oh, you're traveling. You must be on vacation. Like people don't understand that you can actually live anywhere, but also be disciplined enough to work. And there was no amount of money anyone could pay me to give that up because I earned it at that point. So the friend that I was talking to, the the cool part about that was I knew him. He knew me. He knew my challenges, like just with life in general. Um, After having been in this thing for 10 years, he knew my challenges with my co-founder and he saw like he saw how hard i had to work to get to that point and he was also a guy that like had just had a lot of integrity like he was not going to go and and try to get the lowest price like that's just not that just is not who he is he he was a very like like he was just a very good guy and i knew he would do right by me and my team and he was like one of the very few people i could imagine working for so that was actually the driver of like not going out there to to shop the company. Yeah, just the fit felt right. Yeah, it it felt right and um also like I think I think what people don't realize when they have to shop a company is like you have to be really enthusiastic about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't. So, if I wanted to package this, I would have to be the CEO that I wasn't. Like I'd have to pitch this, like, I'm so excited to like be a part of this thing and 10 X this, right. Once I become a part of you. Right. But then with Aaron, who eventually bought my company, I could continue to be, you know, my, my like pouty self <laughs> and like, and he, he would know that I would still perform and still show up. Um, and he would be okay with that because that's, that's just who I am. And, and we were friends. Um, so I didn't want to put on this like dog and pony show that I didn't believe in. And then have to live up to that expectation. Yeah, yeah, I, I respect that absolutely. Um, as you start to talk um, valuations and all this sort of stuff, and and I don't want to venture into anything that's confidential here, but um, give you some context. So, a lot of the traditional businesses, you know, as you would know, a lot of, a lot of different ways to value businesses, but a lot of the traditional businesses we sell typically sell on a multiple of EBITDA. We're selling three SaaS companies at the moment and all of them are being discussed at a multiple of revenue, um, which the first time I ever 
heard all this stuff and started looking into SaaS companies selling like that, I was blown away because how the hell do people get a return on this thing, right? You know, so it's f- fascinating to me that people pay these huge multiples of revenue. In fact, one of my last guests got 60 times top line. I just couldn't believe it. Um, did you have in your mind a methodology that you were using to value your company? Yeah. I mean, first of all, if you're working on selling three SaaS companies, um, you should sell it like very quickly <laughs> because <laughs> the market's changing. Um, it is. Yeah. I think, I mean, that honestly, that's like a great question because that was part of the driving de- decision behind like just not wanting to work on what I was working on anymore because like people think like real estate tech and they think, oh, it's a big business. Like as an economy, real estate's really big, but as a business in tech, it's it's tiny. And so there are like, I guess, average multiples, and it's always a multiple of revenue because that's just how tech companies and SaaS companies are valued. Um, but in in real estate tech, it's significantly lower than like general SaaS because they're just the market just isn't that big because real estate is localized to a country. Like my software could not work in Australia even though there are open homes. It's just the process of how you sell real estate and market real estate and how you pay agents and how brokers like recruit their agents, they're all different. So a lot of tech companies in real estate is is just localized. So the market is very tiny and, and even like, there's only like a Zillow and then Zillow bought Trulia and now there's one Zillow. So like, honey, there's no more Zillows. So in real estate, it was, it was like, there was an equation. It was like, if you're doing poorly, you're, you know, one to three times the revenue. If you're average, it's three to six times. If you're like knocking out of the ballpark, it's six plus, but there's like three companies maybe that actually get there. And you ha- you'd have to own so much of the market and be in like consumer, like real estate consumer tech or like selling directly to agents. And most real estate companies are enterprise software companies. They're, they don't sell direct to agents. So I kind of had an idea of like where we would fall. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Uh, by the way, when you say average company, sort of there, the, that three to six, I reckon there's a whole bunch of people who are going to hear this and fall off their chair who've got traditional <laughs> businesses going, I would take three times my revenue. <laughs> yeah, definitely, if you can start a start a SaaS business. But I can tell you now, like, it's and and like I'm starting an, a SaaS company right now. Like it it is so hard. Like everything again, the forces are against you. And like my previous company, Spacio, was an enterprise SaaS, right? Um, and the difference is the difference between like um, maybe selling a Salesforce to Mailchimp, right? People, everyone knows Mailchimp. You go to the website, you sign up, you pay ten bucks, or maybe there's a free thing. Like great. Right. Um, or there's a Salesforce where like every deal is like a hundred grand, 200 grand. So my previous company was like Salesforce. I mean, the deals were much smaller, but you can imagine why it only took us a year to break even because it's like, like there's a piece of it that's customized, but the, the software, like the core of it is the same. So there's a piece of it that is service. So when every deal is like 10,000 to 50,000, then once you find what people are going to pay for, you just piece it together and, and then that, that's, that's your profitability. What I'm building right now is more of a self-serve SaaS, which is like a MailChimp. So you can imagine how difficult it is to get like 
a thousand people to pay you 20 bucks. It's <laughs> significantly harder to get 20 people to pay you a thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah. And that's why SaaS companies are worth so much because a lot of people die before they even get like see any profitability or they like can't raise any money or they have to be forced to sell because they just can't sustain their team. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to come back to what you're working on at the moment because I, I think, you know, I'd love to hear more about it. Um, just to sort of close out Spacio, um, I, I, I typically find um, most deals get paid out in three kind of buckets. There's cash up front, there's maybe a deferred component, and then there's sometimes an earn out. I'm just curious, without going into, once again, you know, private details, but did you have an earn out? Did you have to hang around for a while? What did what did transition look like after you did the deal? Yeah, so it's very common for at least the stakeholders to have an earn out period. I would be very, very surprised if there isn't and you're selling your company. Either you're doing super well or you're doing super poorly, <laughs> like they want you out. Um, but you're there because of the transition period, right? You're there because you want, like the new company wants you to make sure the customers stay. And that they feel like comfortable with, you know, the product potentially changing and and like changing hands and changing management and changing support teams. So um, yeah, definitely there were we were in all three buckets. Like we did, like we agreed on evaluation, um, and we had one part of it was upfront cash, and a lot of it actually went to pay out our existing investors. So we didn't have any VC funding, but we did have like family and friends. Um, and then we had like a, a couple like angel investors that came on along the way. Um, but like most of that actually went to pay out everyone across them off the cap table. It was the right thing to do. I think like we could have been like, you know, like so to give you an example, like some people will say, okay, 50% stock, 50% cash. Some people will say, okay, well, I'll do that for my investors as well. Like you get 50% and then you have to stay on. But what's the point? They've been with you for so many years. My uncle was there as well. He's kind of getting frustrated. (laughs) And you kind of want to pay him back and and do that favor. Um, But also like the new company doesn't want more people on their cap table that they don't know, especially. So we did the right thing. We basically took it. We paid out our investors. We also paid out like some stock options and things like that. We had a little bit left for ourselves, which was amazing um, because I had lived almost a decade with like nothing. I, I didn't even have a credit card anymore. I didn't have a credit card for like three years because it like, it was just like so maxed out. My credit was so bad. Like, and even after my exit, I needed to get like a secured credit card for like a year before I could like up my limit. Like that's just how ridiculous it was. Um, but yeah, we had like a two year earnout period. Um, and then a portion of that was based on revenue. Um, so that like they would encourage you to, to grow the revenue and grow the upsell. Unfortunately, COVID happened and then open houses became illegal. Like they were not allowed. So that was my last uh, earnout year, which really sucked. Um, but, you know, to my surprise, the, the, the revenue, like our company still grew. Um, that's how solid SaaS businesses are. It's because it, a lot of times it's an inconvenience to get off your software. So they just might as well stay on it. And so it still grew, but it didn't hit, like we didn't hit the targets, of course. Um, and then there was a part that was like um, stock that would be transferred into the new company, which if it's a public company, that's great. You can cash out, but our company was private. However, 
This company bought us because they had a plan to also exit themselves. Like they wanted us to be part of a story and they were just kind of, they, they were, they wanted us to fill in a gap that like they didn't have in the technology so that they could go and pitch that story. And actually this company was acquired, um, last year. So I actually had, I guess my real exit, um, last year and, and luckily it, it, it happened so quickly, but we kind of knew like what, like where that was going. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And yeah, you, you, I guess we're all looking for that sort of life-changing moment, I guess, where all the hard work pays off. So it's, uh, so I, I suspect here, I don't, and I'm, I might be, uh, you know, jumping to conclusions here, joining dots maybe, but you've obviously had a good enough journey on this side of things that you're actually willing to go and do it again. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, that's one assumption. It's not the right assumption. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a assumption, actually. Well, the reality is um, we did not exit it for like retirement level money, right? We exited for, for certainly life-changing money. Like it, it allowed me to do a lot of things that like an adult my age like should be doing. <laughs> Right? Like you just imagine like you all your friends in the past 10 years are like upgrading their lives and like becoming surgeons from their you know residencies and like building their assets with their partners and you're just like scraping by. So yeah, like life-changing in the sense that I could finally do some normal things, right? Like like buy a house. Um, but you know, it could have turned the other way. So I'm I'm certainly like I joke about it, but I'm certainly very grateful that that it did happen. But like it, and I also knew, um, and, and this was like in 2019, I knew that whatever I did would take another five years. Like maybe you're smarter about things, but like, you know, business, like there are really no shortcuts, especially when it comes to technology. Like there are so many hours in a day, so you can only build as fast as time allows you. And there's a process. It requires customer feedback, right? Like, and, and it requires iteration and it requires growing. So I knew that whatever I would do would just take that long. So actually after the company was acquired, I had a conversation with my CEO and got him to sign off on me working on something else that is unrelated to, you know, real estate or, or what we're doing and not competitive. And he knew that if he didn't, if he didn't sign off, he would have a really bad time with me. I just really, I just needed it for, for my well-being as well. Um, so that was what I, I just sprung into the new company like two months after not because it was like such a great experience. I love it in building companies. Like I, I hate the people that are like, oh, I, I, I'm bored when I get, when I retire. I'm like, no, I will have I will be having so much fun. <laughs> like I will not run out of things to do. I will love my life. Um, but yeah, like I, I did it because I don't want to work for, for a very long time. And I just, I knew I needed to. So, so yeah. Okay, so first question is, is what is your new company? Because let's share that with everybody. So, <laughs> Yeah, my new company is called eWebinar. Um, and eWebinar is an automated webinar solution. Um, so what we do is we, we save people from doing the same boring, repetitive webinar over and over again by taking like your perfect video and delivering it like a webinar um, so people can join like your demo, your onboarding, your training, like hundreds or maybe in thousands of times a month without you ever needing to be in front of a camera to actually do the webinar. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds like a, well, and very appropriate for the time. So, you know, if you're listening to this 
go and check it out online. Um, my, my question, Melissa, is in starting this new company, having had the experience that you had, did you did you start now with a very different approach? Have you started? Are you building to exit? Is it you know what what's the approach this time? Yeah, the approach is I'm starting with a product be, that people actually want. <laughs> so remember that <laughs> three year journey. Yeah, remember that three year journey that it took for us to get the first ten dollars. Like that did not happen. So I don't. I I think like success is not repeatable, right? It's not like, Simon, you had one success, so you're guaranteed to have another success. Like that's, that is untrue. Because you just never know what the market and, and timing is going to be, like how the market's going to react. But it does give you the insight to like not do things that didn't serve you. So do not build a product that you don't have customers for. That's what I did in my first company. But eWebinar is actually solving a problem that I personally lived with for five years in Spacio. I was the person having run a super small team. Like you can imagine, I was the person doing all the demos, all the onboardings, all the feature releases, like every single webinar that I did, like that we had to do, I did. And it was still never enough because you have new people coming in every day and people are in different time zones and they don't make your webinar. And we have like a replay graveyard in our inbox, like everybody does and nobody watches them. So I had always envisioned this perfect product that would do my job for me. Well, I would go and have fun because don't forget, I was also traveling, like doing these things in like opposite time zones. So I had thought about this business day in and day out because it needed to exist and things like it, like do exist, but it's a difference between like a GeoCities website and like a Wix website. Like it, it's like stuff exists, but it's just not very good. And so eWebinar is actually a product like of my imagination. I thought about it so much that I didn't need to do any customer research. I didn't talk to anybody. Like I knew my peers struggled with it and I knew I struggled with it. So we just went out, designed it, built it and, and rolled it out. Yeah, that's cool. And, and that's something I can actually very much relate to. Um, I'm cognizant of time here, Melissa, but it, you know, for, if there are business owners out there with traditional businesses who have thought about you know, building a SaaS product to solve their own problem. I mean, is there a, is there one piece of advice you'd give people thinking about going into SaaS for the first time? <laughs> wow. Other than uh, don't. Um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and take a minute. Take a minute while you're thinking about that. And can, can I ask, are you happy for people to reach out and connect with you? Because um, if they have questions or they'd like to talk to you about a webinar or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. They can always find me on, on LinkedIn. It's Melissa Kwan, K-W-A-N, and eWebinar is spelled exactly as it sounds, eWebinar.com. Um, definitely go cool. and check it out. But um, yeah, any any business owner that's thinking of, of stepping into SaaS, like my biggest piece of advice is think long and hard about whether this is a problem you're so passionate about solving that you can no longer accept the world without it. Because if you don't love it that much, you're not going to be able to not have a paycheck and need to pay other people for two to three years of your life. Because that is what, it, that is what it's going to take. Like it, there is nobody, like if you have not started tech company before, you will not understand how difficult it is. And the difficulty is not in 
building the product. If you knew exactly what you were building, like, then you can go and build it. It is, it's like, it's like, I, here's a table. I want to build this table. And then you're, you're going to buy this table. Unfortunately, tech is like a Rubik's cube. It's very, very dynamic. Like, and also like not all code is written equally, like know that. So there is no real spec. It's like how good your product is, is completely left up to the imagination of your CTO. And it is extremely difficult to find a CTO that's very good. Like the, the top, top 1% is doing something for themselves or, you know, for an experienced SaaS founder. So that's the advice I would, I would give is like, just know that it's going to take two or three years and think really hard about like how passionate you are to solve this problem. Wow. Really great advice. Um, Melissa, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm, I'm really grateful you've shared your story, the ins and outs, the ups and downs. Um, I, I know that there'll be people listening to this who, who will just get so much value from it. So, um, yeah, look, really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, this was fun. Well, that's it for today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode with Melissa Kwan. I personally really enjoyed hearing her story. It's, it's raw, it's frank, it's real. You know, Melissa has been able to achieve a lot of success, but she certainly doesn't hide from the fact that there can be a lot of hard work, a lot of disappointment, a lot of frustration, and a lot of worry and stress when you're trying to build a business. And so uh, super grateful that um, we can have guests like this who, who are willing to come on and share that part of their life and their story. If you do want to connect with Melissa, jump on to, to LinkedIn. Um, you can f- find her in there, Melissa Kwan. There will be a link in the notes here. Please put a little note in there if you do send her a connection request, just saying that you heard her being interviewed on the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. I'm sure giving her a little bit of context makes it a little bit easier for her to connect with you. So um, you can also jump onto her new website, which is ewebinar.com. Once again, links in the show notes. You can find all her details there. Thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the show. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.